Turn with me to John chapter 7. In our text this morning, we're going to be starting in verse 14. And Jesus finally arrives at the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. He's late to the feast, and everybody's been wondering where he is and why he didn't show up and complaining about the fact that he's not there because they were looking forward to seeing him, etc., etc. So now Jesus shows up, and the context is that Jesus has been hanging out, not in Jerusalem, but elsewhere. And the reason he's been elsewhere is because the Jews have been trying to kill him. And the reason the Jews have been trying to kill him, you know, there's, I guess there's lots of reasons, but the, um, the presenting issue that they're using as the, uh, as the anger, the flashpoint of their anger, um, is the fact that he healed a man on the Sabbath. Okay, and so John has returned to this defense that Jesus is giving a number of different times. Over the course of 18 months, John has returned several times to this idea and how Jesus responds. Now, of course, we know that there was more to it than simply the fact that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. They thought that was wrong to do. And that was sort of their, their proof, if you will. That, that one act was the proof that they used as justification for their anger that already existed. Okay, so they were already angry at Jesus when he did this. And we read elsewhere that a lot of that had to do with the jealousy that they had for Jesus. That all the people were following him. Jealousy is a powerful motivator, isn't it? A powerful motivator to sin, to look for wrong in other people, and then to use it as justification to do whatever we want against that person. In this case, they're seeking to kill him. And so... That's one theme that we see Jesus uh, addressing as he shows up in Jerusalem late and everybody's wondering, what's he going to say? But of course, the other theme that Jesus, that John has been developing in his book is he wants us to believe, and so he wants us to know who Jesus really is and what it really means to believe in him. And central to that idea is knowing accurately what Jesus work was, what his teaching actually was, and who he actually was. And so these themes keep getting woven in and out. I said one Sunday that it's like John John attacks like a I don't know, like a tornado. He just whirls around the, the same thing over and over and over again. And he, he comes back to his theme. And he's always, or it's like a, you know, it's like the difference between, uh, I don't know, the difference between Paul and John is like a, 
you know, a Roman phalanx of soldiers, and they just, they put up their shields and they just march. That's Paul. He's just marching in, you know, tearing down strongholds. John, on the other hand, is like a band of Indians circling, shooting arrows in, you know. No offense, please don't take offense at that. It's probably a culturally offensive thing. It's, it's just the idea of how attacks happen. There's different ways of going about. John's very different than Paul, right? John just circles these themes, and he keeps coming back to them, and it's like I have to keep explaining the themes that he's hitting over and over and over again, um, reminding us of all the different things that he keeps bringing up. So we see them all here again in this passage in John 7 starting in verse 14, as Jesus begins to speak during the feast. So Jesus continues to explain to the people who he actually is and to defend his work and his teaching. His work, in one major sense here, being the healing that he did of that man on the Sabbath. Okay? And he ends with a call to judge rightly. To judge rightly, not based on outward appearance. And this is something that uh, we desperately need to hear today. This idea of judgment and what in the world is Jesus calling us to when when he speaks to the people, you know, he's speaking to us too, and he says, judge in this way, and not in that way. When the favorite verse in the Bible these days is, judge not lest ye be judged, you come to this passage where he says, judge in this way, and it's like, there's where your head explodes because you just don't have any, nobody has any concept today of any kind of judgment being a right kind of judgment. So we'll get to that. That's going to be our primary focus this morning is talking about what in the world does Jesus mean when he says to judge this particular way. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. We'll be going to, through verse 27. But when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed. And you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision. Not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, 
so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I'm kind of cutting off in the middle here. You could go on through the rest of this. We will get to it. Please be seated. Sorry. We will get... We'll continue through the book of John, obviously, and so we'll get into the rest of what happens as the crowd interacts with Jesus um, and tries to make sense of what he said. But the, the people had a choice of whether to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be and who John is claiming him to be, all right, namely, the Son of God the Savior, the Messiah. Or, and this is the only other choice, of course, just another evil man. Right? Just another evil man. You could describe his personality and his traits in various ways. You know, you've heard liar, lunatic, or lord, maybe the... Breaking up, you know, either either Jesus is a liar or he's completely crazy or he's actually the Lord. Um, but in either case, liar and lunatic fall into the same category, just another evil man, right? Just another evil man. Those are the choices set before the people. And Jesus begins... His speaking to them, and <clears throat> we don't even really have a clear idea of what, where he started. It says that he began to teach, and the Jews were astonished. He began teaching, and the Jews were astonished because he'd never been educated, so how had he learned so much? And so when we hear what Jesus says, it says, that this was his answer to them. So he had already been teaching. It had been astonishing to them. And this begins to get you a feel, by the way, for, uh, I don't know, what the, the reality of crowds of people, large groups of people over the course of um, a whole city, over the course of years, multiple destinations. He's in Galilee teaching. He's up on a mountain teaching. Then he's in Jerusalem teaching. And he's got crowds of people. And we, we can easily fall into the error of thinking that, you know, everybody had seen Jesus already at this point. Everybody. It's like we, you know, we can talk about how everybody showed up at a Trump rally or something, Right? And today, we've got the media showing us a video feed 24-7 of 
what Trump is doing, and so you all know exactly what he looks like, and you all know exactly what his signature hair looks like, and what color it is, and exactly where the pimples are in his face. And I mean, you, you can't escape knowing exactly what Trump looks like, right? But set yourself back in Jerusalem in the year 23, or 33, thereabouts, right? And there's no TV, and there's no social media, and... <clears throat> And so those who had seen Jesus knew what he looked like. And most of those people knew what he looked like where? From afar. Again, it wasn't like when you went to see Jesus teach that everybody there had got to look at him on the big screen with a close-up of his face. When you've got 5,000 people there, right, you're spread out on the hillside in the grass. And that was just the men. So, you know, add the women and the children into the mix, and it's even more people, and it's even more spread out. So my point is, there is, there is a little bit of, you know, uh, lack of what we assume there would be, perfect clarity of vision, perfect recognition of his face, and this sort of thing. This is why Jesus is able to, in a sense, you know, sneak into the middle of the feast where there's thousands of people gathered in Jerusalem all the way into the temple and start teaching without there being like this immediate swarm following Justin Bieber, right? This is a different world we're dealing with. You've got to understand that to, to sort of get a, a realization of why some of the things happen the way they do. So he's teaching, and some of the people are seeing him for the first time. They didn't get a live video feed of what happened up on the mountain. They didn't see it on replay over the course of... They, were, they just got to hear some stories. Maybe a description. Now some of them are seeing him for the first time. He's been the talk of the town. And he shows up. And they begin to on the one hand, acknowledge that his, that, he, that his teaching is good, that his teaching is filled with learning, right? And on the other hand, they're like, but wait a minute. This guy is clearly uneducated. And so, if you were to, if you were to bring that forward to today, you would... You would assume that uh, you know, Jesus certainly had not gone to college. He hadn't been refined by that eminent institution that cuts off all the rough edges, right? And so They're shocked that he teaches not as the scribes and Pharisees. He teaches with authority. They're shocked that he, on the one hand, doesn't present as this 
learned scholar, but on the other hand, presents as a man of deep, deep learning, of knowledge that's, that's astonishing to them. And, and, and it's almost, you get the feeling that it's almost offensive to them because Jesus has to respond by defending his teaching. How easy it is for us to be offended when people speak truth into our life and and we think, well, they have no right to speak of these things to us. Unsolicited advice, right? How many people like unsolicited advice? I had somebody recently really give me what for for giving them unsolicited advice. (laughs) I said, thank you for the wise counsel. The counsel being... Don't ever give unsolicited advice. I hadn't asked. I got some unsolicited advice. Well, my point with unsolicited advice is just to say, when people speak the truth, when people speak into your life, you're faced immediately with that choice. And and a lot of the times what we want to do is we want to discount what they say because they don't have the right credentials. And some of the time, the credentials are simply, you, you haven't been through what I've been through, therefore, shut up. You have nothing to say to me. That's probably the biggest one today. You know, walk a mile in my shoes and then tell me what you think. Okay, well, yeah. Give me your shoes. No. Credentials come into this question of righteous judgment versus judging appearances, okay? Because credentials are all about the outward appearance. Jesus does not have the outward appearance of learning because he hasn't been to college. He hasn't traveled around with the philosophers and learned how to debate the way that the philosophers taught to debate, right? He hasn't learned how to use the rhetorical devices that will bring people along in a convincing manner. And I say that not to denigrate Jesus' teaching. Do you understand? I say that not to imply that he didn't know how to do those things, but to explain he didn't do those things. And if you don't believe me, read his sermons. They are, read the, the teachings, the parables. Read his defenses that he gives in John. They're not like the philosophers. They aren't these rhetorically flourished things. They're somewhat short and brutal, even the parables. You know? Well, some of those parables, they're so short, and they just come to an end, and it's like, boom, there's the point, if you can see it. It's it's nothing like anything else that you've ever read. It's it's nothing that these people have ever heard before. He's unlearned. 
He doesn't have the appearance, the outward appearance of the learning that they think is so important. And so the people are the people are looking at his credentials, they're looking at his outward appearance, and they're going, well, wait a minute, you know. On the one hand, the content is good. On the other hand, doesn't he realize how offensive that is? If he'd only gone to college and learned how to speak with a little bit more tact, we might be able to take this a little bit better. Right? His credentials are what I'm, are, you know, that outward appearance. He hasn't walked a mile in our shoes. Well, of course, Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes, right? The fact of the matter is Jesus' true credentials are perfect. You, you can't beat his credentials. But his credentials are not the ones that this world makes important. And they are not outward appearance. John's whole book is about establishing Jesus' credentials. It starts, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's establishing Jesus as God incarnate, the Son of God. He is proving to us throughout the book that Jesus is who he claims to be. All right? He's establishing the... Uh, you know, that, that the deep importance of accurately knowing who Jesus is. Meaning that we not look at the outward appearance of who Jesus is. And so the people here are faced with that choice. They can either say, well, he doesn't have the necessary training. I can't take him seriously. He doesn't have the necessary uh, he doesn't have the necessary fluidity and smoothness of speech. I find it offensive. He doesn't have the necessary approval of the ruling classes. He doesn't have the necessary money to show that he has made something of himself and that I should listen to him. He doesn't have the necessary success All I see up there is an uneducated man. Or they can say, this is deep learning. And I must listen to him. And it's in that context that Jesus then speaks. He speaks into their astonishment at the contrast, that conflict between, on the one hand, his uneducatedness, and on the other hand, his deep learning. Their astonishment, that they're caught at the, at the choice right there. What to think, what to think. And Jesus says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. 
dives back into that defense that he returns to over and over, that John points out over and over, that Jesus has come to do the will of the Father. Jesus is constantly pointing back to God the Father in the book of John. We read it over and over again. My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, then he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. I could spend an entire week just on those verses right there. And by entire week, I mean four sermons a day, seven days. <laughs> but we're not doing that. I just, I just want to reiterate, we see this theme over and over and over. He's pointing back to God and saying, look, if you know who God is, I'm doing what God says to do. If you know who God is, I'm teaching what God says. You know who God is? I am pointing you and your honor to him. And all of those things are a perfect defense for this, for this question that's coming about. Should we believe him or should we not? What Jesus says is the same thing that I have to say if somebody challenges my teaching. All I can say is, either it's of God or it's of me. If it's of God, it's true. If it's of me, get rid of it. Now that almost sounds blasphemous for Jesus to say. And I'm, I'm really just sort of paraphrasing Jesus there, right? Let's, let's read it again. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. The implication being that the one who is seeking his own glory, that is the unrighteousness that's in him. And so if I'm speaking out of myself, it is to puff myself up, it is to bring myself glory rather than to bring glory to God the Father. Now, how can Jesus say this? Remember when Paul asked, was, is Jesus of the same substance or of similar substance with the Father? This is like right now, within the last two weeks, exploding back into controversy in the Reformed world. And you, You'd think, well, we settled this. Paul just got done telling us we settled this back in 300, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> isn't this settled? And the answer is, well, yes, it's settled, but there's, there's a lot of confusion still about the Trinity and then about the Son, Jesus, and his nature. And this is where all of the major heresies come in and go out. And so you've got some people today going, wait a minute. I think what you're saying denies the Nicene Creed. 
Well, Jesus speaks this way in his human form, right? As man, fully man, and fully God. It is impossible for Jesus to do anything other than to glorify the Father. And the reason it's impossible for Jesus, the man, to do anything other than glorify God the Father is because he is also God, fully the Son. Right? And so what he's doing is he's, he's saying, if I were to somehow draw glory to myself that didn't also redound to the glory of the Father, that would be unrighteousness in me. And, we, and, and that's what we've got to realize. Part of Jesus' perfect obedience is that he never does anything unrighteous, right? And that includes not taking glory for himself that belongs to God. You say, but he is God. And I say, exactly. Exactly. And that's what he's saying when he says, my teaching is, is not my own. It's, it's from the one who sent me. It's God's teaching. This is not of man. This teaching is of God. And that's the first thing that he throws into the the meat grinder of their emotions in that conflict, are we, going to, are we going to listen to him as the deep learning, true wisdom that's there, or are we going to be offended that he dares speak with authority even though he's uneducated? First thing he throws in there is this sort of hand grenade of, it's not my teaching. It's God's teaching. They had to make a choice. They needed to judge Jesus' teaching. They had to decide whether his teaching was true or not. And so Jesus gives them a way to judge his teaching. Do you see that? He gives them a way to judge his teaching. He says, if it brings glory to me and puffs me up, but doesn't give glory to God, it's false teaching. But if, what? If I'm seeking the glory of the one who sent me, then I am true, and there's no unrighteousness in me. He speaks that in the third person, right? The one. So he's giving us a general command, a general way to judge teaching. That's why I bring it to myself earlier, right? I say, this is the same, this is, this is the same thing that I have to say. If it's of me, if it's puffing me up, if it's building up my glory rather than the glory of God, throw it out.
they had to judge Jesus' teaching, and so he gives them a measure, a standard by which to measure it. But they also needed to judge Jesus' actions. And that's the next part that he, that he begins to defend and to explain to them. Because his actions had been to heal somebody on the Sabbath. His actions had, been, his actions had the appearance of evil. In the eyes of many of the people there, he was breaking the commandment of God by working on the Sabbath when he healed the man on the Sabbath. Okay? Now, you can say that's absurd all you want, but you've got to enter, you know, you've got to put yourself in the shoes of the Jews at that time. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the ones who set up the rules. They were the ones who taught the people how to understand the law. They were the ones who taught the people what they should and shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Okay? And so this is what they had taught them. You shouldn't be working by healing on the Sabbath. That's breaking the Sabbath commandment. No working, right? And so, as we move forward in this text, Jesus says, Did not Moses give you the law? and yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now he's addressing his actions and the law. Okay? At this point, he's lost the crowd. You, you're not just crazy. You've got a demon. Who's trying to kill you? We're all just sitting here listening to you. Now, either they don't know who Jesus is still, that, that, that he's the guy they've all been waiting for, and that they were, you know, it says that the crowds were afraid to talk out loud about him because they knew the priests were so angry about him, right? So either they don't know who he is still, or they're somehow so caught up in his, in his teaching that, they're, that, they've, that they've forgotten that whole aspect of it, and they're just in the moment, in the here and now. I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to even tell how they could be so shocked at his claim that they're trying to kill him. You have a demon. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marveled. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? So he he goes back. Remember I said that that was sort of the focal point? The fact that he had done that, that he had healed a man on a Sabbath, that was sort of the focal point of their hatred and the justification of their their anger at him. That means that spot has to be, that spot has to be justified in their minds. By him. I mean, he has to, he has to say, no, this was not against God, what I did. My teaching is not against God. 
and my actions are not against God. And his whole point is simply, look, you guys, you know how the law works. If you use a little bit of common sense, you'll understand that just like it's not against the law to go ahead and circumcise somebody on the Sabbath, it's also not against the law to heal somebody on the Sabbath. This is not a conflict. This is not disobeying God for me to do this good, obedient deed, this good deed of healing a man. It's a simple argument, right? Well, we are called to judge righteously the same way that Jesus called the people to judge righteously. Judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance. That's what comes next. And all of a sudden, the question, it returns to everybody's minds. What are we going to think about this man? What are we going to do about this man? What, do we believe this guy or do we not believe this guy? And so we see some of the people were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Like, yeah, we weren't, weren't, we, weren't we hearing rumors about this? <laughs> weren't we all speaking hush-hush about this? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers don't really know that this is the Christ, do they? And then, however, we know where this man is from, but whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Okay, so, judge with righteous judgment or judge based on outward appearance. Jesus says, do not judge according to appearance but judge with righteous judgment. And so they all have to judge Jesus' teaching. They all have to judge his actions. And they needed to judge Jesus' claims about who he is. He very clearly claims to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for. And if they believe in him as the Messiah, they have judged with righteous judgment. And their souls will be saved. You say, is that the work that they have to do to believe? And I say, no, no. (laughs) Please. This is not about working our way to salvation. This is about the necessity of looking to Jesus Christ as he claims to be, as he actually is, so that we may be saved. Because looking to him as he claims to be 
is to turn away from our sin and to claim his righteousness for our own. Not of good works that man has done so that no one can boast, right? But still there's that call to judge. Judging his outward appearance, Jesus was uneducated. We know from Isaiah he also didn't look particularly good. All right? He didn't have the earthly importance that they were expecting. Remember they were going to make him king by they're going to take him and make him king by force. It's because they were looking for a particular earthly presentation of earthly importance, earthly important things like money and power and prestige. But he didn't have any of that. And last of all, we see that he appeared to be just a man, the son of Joseph and Mary from Galilee. Looking at the outward appearance, that's what we see. They say, we know where this man is from. He's just some guy from Galilee. But that's to judge by the outward appearance, right? The other temptation that they face is to judge hypocritically. And that's the part that Jesus was addressing when he talked about circumcision. Because they already knew the Sabbath law was not in conflict with obedience to other parts of the law. They already knew that. And yet somehow they're excusing something that they do on the Sabbath and using something that he does on the Sabbath to condemn him. What is that? That's that's hypocrisy. So as we think about ourselves and the fact that we are called to judge as well here, we realize that we have to judge teachings. One of the teachings, I was just talking to one of you about this, one of the teachings that we get today is that what we need to do is uh, get the outward appearance very nice in in our presentation of the gospel so that it won't be offensive to people. It's not what Jesus does here, though, is it? We also have to judge actions. And so what that ends up meaning is we've got to look and see, is this something good that's being done, or is this something bad that's being done? Elsewhere, we think of looking at the fruit, right? The fruit of what's in the heart is what comes out in the actions and and the words of the mouth. And so you look at it and you say, is this good or bad? Are the actions good or bad? Now, so far, you're with me. You're like, yeah, I always need to decide whether the thing that is being said is true. That's right. 
And, and then, and yeah, you know, I, I need to decide if drinking the Kool-Aid is good or bad. It's action. You know, I've got to decide whether I should do it or not do it. But here's the, here's the part where you get really uncomfortable. Teachings and actions come from men. And so when you judge the teachings and the actions, what you are doing is you are judging the man. You can't escape it. You can't avoid it. It's the most, it's the most fundamental... Uh, how, would I even, how would I even explain it? Um, You're deciding whether to follow the person or not. That's making a judgment about the person. The people are called to judge whether they are going to follow Jesus or not. They've got to judge Jesus, and they've got to judge him with righteous judgment. Now, you're... You come, to, you come to some of the things that we, that we read other places in the New Testament, judge not lest you be judged, okay, being one of them, or um, Paul saying, I don't, even, you know, I don't even judge myself, right? And what we realize is that there's, there's a few different ways of talking about judgment. When I say you've got to judge the person, I don't mean you're deciding whether that person is going to hell or heaven. I don't mean that you sit in the place of God as judge. He has given all judgment into the hands of the Son. So I don't mean judging in an ultimate sense. This is why Paul says, I don't even judge myself. You guys don't judge me. I don't even judge myself. God is my judge. And yet, what is Paul doing when he, does, when he writes that letter? He is trying to convince the people to change their judgment about him. Do you get that? And that's what Jesus is speaking of here, and that's what I'm talking of. You can't judge teachings and actions without it coming down onto the person who's giving those teachings and those actions. It's like if you were in front of the it's like if you were in front of the judge, right? And there's a charge. And the charge is, you know, breaking and entering. All right. Well, was the house broken into? Yes, it was. Here are the facts. Here's what was taken. Okay, here we go. That's like the words, the, the, the facts of the case. Then, then you've got the actions. You, no, did this person do it? Yes, yes, he did. This is what he did. Well, that, breaking and entering, is wrong. Therefore, what? 
the man is judged. Not just the action, right? It's not like you go and give a spanking to the, to the bro- broken door. The person is judged by his words and by his actions. And so we judge people by the things that they're teaching and by the things that they're doing. And of course, the danger to us is the same danger that the people faced as they were judging Jesus, and that is that we would judge based on outward appearances. Okay? Now, what does it look like for us to judge based on outward appearances? Well, I'll tell you, it looks awfully similar to them. Looking at the earthly rather than the spiritual. And so what do we judge based on? Success. Success as judged by your particular demographic. What has been instilled in you culturally as being indicative of success. Okay, so, in, so in different cultures, there's different measures of success. We've got lots of little subcultures throughout the United States, and, and, uh, and in some subcultures, the measure of success is, do you have a nice house with a two-car garage and, and a, and a white-collar job? Okay, well then, well, he must be a good man. You can't argue with the outcome. Look at the outcome, and I say, what outcome? Worldly success or spiritual success? What are we going to judge based on? Outward appearances. Another one is, uh, you know, in in other places, success means um, being cool and accepted by a particular popular subset of the population. So if you can if you can if you can speak to people who have tattoos and are ripped and who look awesome in and live downtown then Man, now you've got success. That's, that's evidence. And I say it's outward evidence. It's outward evidence just like the man who can talk with the person on the golf course without offending is judging based on outward appearance, right? Being, being successful as, de- as defined by any one of our bizarre little subcultures, okay, means nothing. It's all outward appearances. We cannot judge based on outward appearances. Now, it's true that we are to judge based on fruit, okay? But let's, let's be very clear.